Hello, everyone. It's time for Insert Disc 2 with myself and John Budokarshawler. We had so much interesting things to talk about, we thought we would just film it because that's what we yeah. do when we have interesting things to talk about. We don't talk just for fun. That's for suckers. you got to film, <laughs> film everything. So, Boat, <laughs> the first thing I want to talk about this week is you did your first, I think your first ever role-playing event that you hosted and ran. Last that night. is not technically true. I okay. you do not remember this, but I GM'd a game of champions with you and the Brent. I don't remember this that either. A, this is this is where I the only thing you might remember is I cleverly worked in lots of Cindy Lauper related clues into the game. Do you I'm have a, any recollection? Was there, was of this there any booze involved in this evening? Because I don't remember any of that. There was plenty of booze let's, involved. Let's, okay, let me evening. let me restart my intro here. <laughs> Boat, I hear you ran your first ever role playing Cthulhu game last night. How did it go? That's right, man. I'll tell you. You know, we 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 talked briefly last night because I was so ecstatic to to share this with you. There's nothing like role playing. It's so much fun. It's so much fun because you don't know what's going to happen. It's unpredictable. People are thinking, they're laughing, they're having a good time. I ran a scenario that came with the uh, what they call the quick start rules. Yeah, Cthulhu is now in its seventh edition, which is a, that's a lot of editions for a game that's only been out since 1981. Yeah, um, and uh, and so I got the uh, and so I, I downloaded the the rules. They had some pre gen characters and a scenario and. Uh, it was great. It was great. I, I was a little bit nervous because the guys I were playing with are diehard RPG guys have been playing since the 70s. They they look, about, their picture, they look like diehard 70s players. They remind yeah. me of, of me to a certain degree. Yeah, they're, I'd say they're five to ten years older than you are. They were about 15 when D&D first came out in the yeah. 70s. Yeah. Uh, and so they they were there for it all. Uh, and so, um, but anyway, they, uh, they, they seem to have a good time and we're going to make this a regular thing. Uh, we're going to take turns, you know, uh, running games. They, uh, I'm going to play my first ever. I've never actually played Dungeons and Dragons before hmm. and all the role playing that we've done. I think we always use the champion system. Cause I know you're a big fan of that system. Yeah. Or champions or Cthulhu. I think that's all because that's what Brent ran. You know, it's funny. I'm looking at Pixels of Dawn. Uh, hilariously wrote first ever sober role playing game. But <laughs> that's, that's you're not true. too far off because when we used to play Brent's Cthulhu campaign, we would hit the globe regularly, the booze globe. Oh, and, yeah. and so we and Boat played a character who happened to be a drunken idiot. And so Boat was one of these guys. He's a method actor. He had to get, he had to had to get into character. Yeah, that's right. And he had this statue of the captain uh, that he would set on the table. And that, so th those were fun. And, of course, Brick killed us all uh, cheaply, yeah. I might add. But we had a good time. So that's great. Let me ask you, uh, do you think you could have ran a game like that if you'd been kicking a few back? It's a lot it tougher. Been, it would have been more difficult, yeah. for sure. Because you've really got to think on your feet, as you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, it's funny. Uh, our other our partner in crime, Good Mad, is also in the house. He was in that game, too. We had long-suffering with the captain's antics. He got us in trouble many times. <laughs> I believe that you were an Indian manservant in that game. Something like that. I, I, you know, yeah. I, I was a big fan of Johnny Quest, you know? Mm-hmm. And Johnny had a a, a, a a native India guy in there. I'm trying, was Haji? Was that his name or something like that? Yeah, Haji, and I always right. thought that guy was cool. You know, I was mm -hmm. I'm down with that. So I, I kind of worked that gimmick. As, and as Matt that, was a gangster. I remember, yeah, yeah, that was the, that was the, yeah. that was the team. The mob guy. <laughs> that was a fun time. So I'm glad that went off good. And I'm glad you're. Uh, 
it's funny because I told Boat last night. Now you understand why whenever someone talks about role playing games on the computer or on the or on a uh, on a uh, console, I mean you could call them that, but they're not really that. They're I mean unless you really get into it, I guess. But I mean right. you, it's and even playing role playing games like on Teamspeak or, or via Discord, it's just not the same as being at the same table. It, it does lose a lot in the translation. You can still do it. Don't get me wrong and have a good time, but it's not like being there. Because when someone does dumb, something dumb or, or has a great role, you can't pat them on the back or whack them, you know, if you're right. on the table. Right. So I'm glad that went. And I'll tell you, and it was the first time that I've ever sat behind the screen. That's yeah. the ultimate feeling of power yeah. is when you set up the screen. And I paid big bucks for the official Cthulhu screen. I was so. surprised that you were t- picking uh, uh, Cthulhu to run for your first game. But you could do a lot worse because it's actually the rules for it are pretty common sense, I think. Uh, yeah. I and uh, well, what's funny is I, I, I tumbled down this rabbit hole thanks to Discord because on the Discord, uh, we were talking about uh, there's a series of books that I guess were really popular in the UK that. If we had them here, I never saw them. But they're like choose your own adventure books, but you actually have dice and there's oh, I, combat. I saw you guys talk about it. Yeah, I had those. I've got. In fact, okay. I still have some. Uh, and I was there. like, man, I yeah. couldn't believe that because I, if I would have had those when I was a kid, I would have loved them. In fact, and that TSR actually licensed their own set of books like that. They also have. Oh. They also make solo adventures that are modules. They're just like a D and D module. You use D and D rules, but they're solo, and you use exactly. like disappearing ink and stuff to play through them. You know. And so, so what what that led me to was buying one of those like a Cthulhu type books and downloading some solo Cthulhu modules and running through those. And I was like, man, why am I doing all that? I could just run the, the real role playing game. And so I started getting into role playing and I spent all last week just reading about role playing stuff and getting back. And this is another one of my this is I'm in one of my moods. Oh, yeah, I dropped so much money. On role playing stuff well, last week. No, don't can, do that. So you don't it, need it, to. It, don't, don't, don't be alarmed if at some point in the future there's going to be a big Amazon truck that's taking it all back. Well, you listen. The <laughs> thing, you, there's no reason to spend big money. Uh, seriously, because the one thing I listen, I make up my own rules. I mean, I play an amalgamation of rules when I run stuff like Dungeons and Dragons because the rules are secondary to your ability as a storyteller to make the scenario come to life for your characters. And and yeah. I find that the rules, and a lot of times, get in the, in the way of the good time of the players. Not so much thwart me, but that's a conversation for another time. I was pleased to see that you actually took that off. So good for you, Boat. I'm, I'll, I'll be playing at your table again sometime in the near future. It'll be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Now we got to get to the meat of the Insert Disc 2, which is Aaron's happy fun time extravaganza in Vacation Land. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, just briefly, uh, I was out last week because I took my son on a trip. I guess a couple trips. Uh, the uh, first part of the week, we stayed at the family. Uh, we've got a, a small house, and I mean that literally, in every sense of the word, a tiny house that's uh, on uh, the river in Clay County, West Virginia. And we stayed there. We're the first time anybody stayed up there, but it was me and Luke. And it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, uh, getting the place Did in order. Did you get scared at nighttime? Absolutely, because the funny thing about this house is there's a house next to it. There's a tr- there's a there's an RV on, on one side of us. That's my uncle's RV that my, he parks on our property. And there's, there's a full-fledged house that had one of these lights in the yard, you know, like a street light. But it only when it, mm. at night, it would only blink on and off randomly. And it was, oh, and man. so, and the house, they haven't put up curtains or shades in the house. So all the windows are wide open and there's tons of, including, <laughs> and the door is a big window. So the second night we were up there, there was an electrical storm 
And I'd also wow. put some, uh, I took some of the lights off the arcade that blinked, the solar ones, and I put mm-hmm. them on the rail up there. And so when the thunderstorm was going on, the lightning, we couldn't tell if the lightning was lightning, the light next door was lightning, or the porch lights were lightning. So it was just all the time. <laughs> and Luke, I woke up. It's at, like a strobe light while you're trying to sleep. <laughs> I woke up about three in the morning and I looked over because we were, they bought these two gimmicks. Think of like an ottoman, okay, like square. Mm-hmm. These things right. fold into single beds. Yeah. It's quite amazing. Yeah. And I slept on one for two nights. It was, I'm not saying it was glorious, but it's okay. You know, I got sleep. Mm-hmm. But I woke up at three in the morning that second night during that electrical store, and I looked over, and Luke's on the other one, and his eyes are as big as pie pans. I'm like, <laughs> hey, with trouble sleeping? He goes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, don't worry, man. And it was, But it was a real neat experience to be up there uh, when that happened. So we had a couple of not really fun nights up there. By the way, I... Uh, you can't get any television stations. You can't get any over-the-air digital television stations. I tried to get the ra- You couldn't get any radio stations. Wow. You've got no cell phone. I mean, you're out there, uh, dude. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of neat. And then we uh, also went up to the uh, the ad- the uh, Air Force Base, National Air Force Base uh, in Dayton, Ohio. I think it's Wright-Patterson. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went up to the museum up there, and that was a lot of fun. It Literally, it's got America's... Uh, Air Force and air uh, history from basically the Wright brothers all the way up to pretty much modern stuff and stuff in space. And what these museums are is they're essentially huge airplane hangars. (laughs) So, you know, you can go there and you can see everything from the earliest planes all the way up through spacecraft and all kinds. There's the, the, when I was there, they had the B2 bomber was there. It's still there. They had uh, SR 71. They had a, uh, the president's plane. uh, I think it was, Bush's or Reagan's plane in there, Air Force One. These are full-size, real planes. They had uh, the boxcar, which is the plane that uh, that uh, dropped the uh, bombs on Nagasaki. Uh, Enola Gay is at, on display, I believe, at uh, the Smithsonian. That's the one that dropped the bombs on Hiroshima. It's a, And listen, you need to keep these stuff. It's a constant reminder uh, of what, you know, what war is. You know, I wish mm. I think everyone should take their kid. This should be mandatory for every class that's nearby to go to this place because you need to see what's going on. They had a room full of missiles, you know, Minuteman mm. missiles. They were stories and stories high, these rooms. And you need to see this stuff and you need to understand the destructive power. And what when you it's funny when you, it's interesting when you go to war, you see someone on TV and you're not really affected by it or whatever, but you need to understand what it's like, what kind of destructive power that we possess and how it changed. And, and it's a uh, and I'm not saying that like, oh boy, we got lots of destructive power. You need to think of the ramifications of the use of such power. I guess is where I'm going yeah. here. Uh, so it's yeah. it's not only just an interesting uh, thing for audio file or for uh, uh, aerophiles and people that like airplanes and and helicopters and spacecraft, but it's also something to make you think. Uh, so really enjoyed that. And then we uh, finished the trip off by with a trip down to the uh, uh, Great Wolf Lodge for some uh, swimming. We swam for about five hours, boat. If you can believe that multiple pools and now did you did, were, did you did you run out of time were you unable to hit the family fun center we did hit the family fun. oh i'm glad you reminded me about that yeah we hit a family fun center played tons and tons and tons of games there it's funny to see retro games that are still sort of in the mix there's a big huge uh centipede game it's like three players it's sort of it's enormous it's like you know it, it stands as floor to ceiling Mm-hmm. And they've it's always it's like a dot matrix sort of display. It's really cool. We played one of those. We've also played a uh, uh, 
uh, uh, uh, uh, was it the Galaxy or something like that? There was another one we played that was like uh, uh, it's the same thing. It's like a it's like slant on like what you used to play because you use like a light you use like mounted light guns to play it. You don't actually play with mm. a joystick, right? And, and then we played a game that was a uh, um, it was a you played air hockey, right? This was Pac-Man Air Hockey. It takes place on a square table. We could have one to four, or one to four people play it. I guess two to four. And uh, there's a little dispenser of pucks on one side. I guess it's three three players. And every once in a while, I'll drop a puck, and then eventually, sometimes it just drops like twelve pucks, and you're mm. just madly trying to get it into the. Your, so your it's, it's almost like it's almost like a reverse hungry hungry hippo. It, it is, and it, it was so much fun and very clever. This thing, yeah. You know, yeah. they had a Connect Four that you play with basketballs. You're shooting hoops, so you're trying to hit. Oh, the that's hoops. cool! Oh, it was great. That I, you know, that, that was really fun. But you would, you that you, that's a uh, you would recommend that that location. Sure, it's a play. Actually, there's multiple locations. It was an outfit called Scene Seventy Five. Uh, so, okay. and they've got multiple branches all over the all over the place. Uh, so, if you're near one, I guess it's sort of like the old Killians or uh, uh, David Buster's. You know, I'm mm-hmm. sure they have similar sorts of games. And we also had an arcade at the. Uh, at the at the Great Wolf Lodge, so that was a lot of fun. I played a lot of arcade games, played a lot of miniature golf, uh, which was neat. I, also, I had the best virtual reality experience I've ever had at the really? C seventy five. They had a game there called King Kong, where you put on a visor, you get this car, mm-hmm. and you and all you use your hands. You had to keep your hands in the car, and it's a game where you're going to like the jungle, and so flies and stuff are coming at you. and You're having to whack them. You know, it's sort of like mm-hmm. the old Connect or something used right, to be. Right. The kid hated this. He swore never to ride mm-hmm. it again. He, he was like, I don't like this. I don't like this. He was freaking out, you know, <laughs> but it was really cool, you know, so that was, that was fun. It was a good trip boat. I had a real good time. Uh, and, uh, but I, mean, I was, I was sad that I had to miss the show, but overall I just felt like I needed to spend a, a good quality week with the boy and it worked. It's a well-deserved, a well-deserved break. Yeah. One sure. more, one more thing I want to touch on. This is just sort of a conversation. I was talking to, I don't want to out this guy cause I don't know if he wants to be talked about, but I'm going to talk about the situation. We've got a guy in Discord. I hadn't talked to him for a while, and he uh, sent me a note, told me he was still alive. And what he had been working on a boat were he had been crafting makeup for the new Lord of the Rings uh, film. Uh, not film, the TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was doing that? Is that Amazon? or I don't know who, yeah, who's Amazon. doing it. Amazon. And, and he sent me some of the pictures of, from what he'd been doing. Oh, my God, so awesome. And I, but he was he was really tired and beat down. He said the whole experience had left him sort of burnt out and angry because he had to deal with a bunch of jerks and the director was sort of a jerk to him and the you know some people were jerks and plus the the series is set to not be well received I guess and I've heard mm-hmm. not good things about the series in the in the build up to the release I don't think it's even out yet. And it, it got, it's lots of people that haven't seen it making a lot of assumptions. Well, I, yeah, I mean, you're right. But I mean, I had heard early on, I heard something early on that made me listen. I, I'm sure you've read the was a Cimmerillion, uh, and uh, the book that, that I've read everything. Right. So there you go. Uh, and this 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 show is a lot like the, the new Star Trek. They don't have access to the entire width and breadth of the library of, of Tolkien. They're limited to what they can do. Okay, so that's a, there's a limiting factor there, and believe it or not, the new Star Trek shows are like that in the films. There's this, they have to change some things. It's real. It's hard to explain. So they were sort of hamstrung there, uh, and I haven't seen it yet. And I will watch the, at least one episode up to see how it is. But it got me and my buddy to thinking about how how crappy it must be for these guys who work on stuff like uh, special effects or costuming. 
for these films to to go through all the intensive labor and crunch to try to get this stuff ready and to ply their craft, especially if they're an artisan, uh, you know, a true artisan, because this stuff, this is something that an art, someone that is good at art would do. It's not like me and you could go glue some hair on a dude and say, oh, you're an orc. It's not the way it works. And it would be, it would we be, could try. it would be, <laughs> be easier to shave some hair off a guy. Uh, but it would be gutting to go through all that work and then have your finished product come out and everyone hate what it's involved in. It's just, just the well, worst here's thing. The thing. Here's the thing. If you live in the age of the internet, you're talking about every every movie ever. Yeah. Because there's going to be a certain number of people that whenever your movie comes out are going to say, this is the worst movie that's ever been, and I hate it. And yeah. so I it's it seems like it's impossible to be in that line of work without having a certain amount of thick skin. Now, that all said, if you are working in an environment in which it's crap because you're being overworked and you're being underpaid and you're not being appreciated by the people that are actually a part of the production, yeah. that's a whole separate thing. And I'm right. sure that that's happened in the past. I would wager that when these people get finished on a project like that, they're so beat down <laughs> that it's probably, they're probably mad at a lot of stuff, you know, because I mean, it's just, mm. it's such. And I I can equate this to game programming. I watch a, a lot of shows that talk about failed games, right, or games mm -hmm. that didn't work well received. And inevitably, it's almost never because the people that were working on the games were not talented or were not committed. It's almost entirely because they were under a crunch that was uh they couldn't get past, or someone couldn't figure out which kind of game they wanted to make, or they got directions from on high. And I'd wonder if TV shows. I would wager they have a very similar issue with the with the people from the network and people that from the, that are paying for the thing, trying to yank them in, the, in every sort of direction. It's probably robbed us of a lot of quality material over the over the years. So well, you never yeah, know. I mean, it's, yeah, it's the same deal where you've got you've got your bean counter side and you've got your market research side and you've got your creative side, and all three of those sides are at loggerheads all the time. Yeah. Because they all have different, they all have conflicting views on how a project should go. Yeah, you know, Duncan mentions that the, those making the Marvel show now, show effects now are in a situation just like our friend that we're talking about. And yeah, you could, anytime you're in something that's not well-received, it's got to be a gutting feeling. It's a bummer. You know, listen, we don't like it when uh, someone hates our episodes, and we're putting far less time into it than someone that would be involved yeah. in making, making an orc outfit. Hey, speaking of Hollywood, one last little topic I wanted to bring up, and that is the sad passing of Judo Jean LaBelle uh, boat. I don't know if I've talked to you about this. Uh, Judo Jean LaBelle was a uh, a big-time player uh, for a long time in Hollywood as a stuntman. If you look up Jean LaBelle's credits... On internet, any relation to Patty? No, and, okay. no, because Patty can't take a bump like this guy. This guy's literally been in hundreds of films, and like up until like the nineties, he was working, and he's he died. At, he was think it was eighty eighty one or eighty nine. So he worked well past that you, when you would normally work as a stuntman. He also was a uh, pro wrestler, and a he was named Judo Gene Labelle for a reason. He was a judo practitioner and one of the earliest MMA. Uh, type stars, I guess you could put it. He, I mean, he he had a rep as a big time shooter back in the day. There's a very famous story in California where they had put the Californian world version of the world title on a guy named Bearcat Wright. Bearcat Wright was a uh, African American guy. He really was the technically he was probably the first African American world champion uh, back in the day. But Bearcat was a guy who had a temper, 
And when it was time for him to relinquish that belt to do the favors to another wrestler, they put the other wrestler in there, and he beat the crap out of him and just pinned him. Like, for real. You know? And so the promoter was like, all right. So the next time he had a title defense, they the I can't recall who was supposed to be in the title defense. That guy couldn't make it. And instead the hangman came out, this mask guy. And everyone mm-hmm. knew that the hangman was Judo Gene LaBelle. They mm-hmm. said Bearcat Wright left the ring, left the arena, and drove to St. Louis. This is for real. <laughs> that night in his tights. He got that's good. Wow. He was not gonna mix it up with Judo Gene LaBelle because that's the kind of respect that Judo Gene had. Uh, there's another story where Judo Gene LaBelle met Steven Seagal, who said, there's no way you could choke me out. And he choked him out, and Seagal said, you couldn't do it again, so he did it again. So he choked out Seagal. Is that the, is that is that the defecation incident? Could be. I don't know that part yeah. of the, uh, yeah, of the that, story. That, that, that's a, a big part of Steven Seagal's legacy, is that he soiled himself by being choked out well, by a guy. that can't happen. I saw some guys get choked out, and I've, I've heard tell of that. Uh, Judo Gene also was the, famously refereed the, uh, really what some people consider the first big-time MMA bout, although it was a work, but well, sort of, between uh, Muhammad Ali and Antonio Inoki in Japan, that horrible, horrible uh, battle. If you've ever seen it, it's it's world famous for its horrible. televised? Oh, yes. It was on closed circuit. Mm. This was in the, uh, I think it was the late 70s, early 80s, and the gimmick was, they at the last minute, they changed the rules. And so all Inoki did was lay on his back and kick Muhammad Ali in the legs. You know, oh. while, and Muhammad Ali spent the whole fight bad mouth. And it went like the full distance, this thing. It was, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was dreadful. The undercard featured Andre the Giant versus Chuck Wepner. Uh, if you know who Chuck Wepner was, he's the guy he that the, he was the host of the People's Court. No, that was, that was Judge Wapner. Chuck oh. Wepner was the guy who Rocky was based on. And the reason oh. the reason Rocky was based on he was known as like his name his nickname was like the Bayoun Bleeder. He was this journeyman boxer, and he but he actually famously knocked Ali down in a fight, and mm. like Ali got up and murdered him. But still, Chuck mm. he you know he and so that's the basis for Rocky movies. But on the undercard, Jeff Wetner fought Andre the Giant, and Andre picked him up and pressed him and threw him into his trainers over the top rope. <laughs> he couldn't get back in. It was, it was great. Uh, but we and, should watch that some night. Oh that, yeah, both those matches back to back. Well, I don't know if I want to set to the 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 on uh, the uh, the Inoki Ali fight. And then lastly, uh, to cl- in closing on uh, Labelle, another thing he you know he only gave out a few black belts. One of the black belts he gave out in judo was the Rowdy Roddy Piper. You know, because really? he did some wrestling. And so the funny thing is, uh, Labelle was a huge player in the California judo community. Uh, and so, uh, amongst the people he knew very well were was uh, 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 was Ronda Rousey's mom, who was a big time judo player. And so, he ended up knowing Ronda well. And if you watch her early fights in Strike Force, you'll see Judo Gene. He'll be at ringside with a stopwatch, and he would hit the buttons because her fights would go like forty, fifty seconds. He'd hit the button and stop it. And once the fight was over, he'd show the camera, dance around. Anyway, the she got the name Rowdy Ronda Rousey. From Rowdy Roddy Piper, because they both knew Gene LaBelle. He introduced them, and he gave her permission to use his nickname. So that's where she got her nickname. That was Judo Gene LaBelle, too. I know this, if you're not into this sort of thing, that's fine. But, dude, if you get a chance, check out Gene LaBelle on IMDb and just look at the films he's been in. He's effectively been in every action movie you've ever heard of for, like, 50 years. And that's a shoot. It's mm. unbelievable, his credit. So rest in peace, Judo Gene. You were a heck of, heck of a man. That's all I got, Boat. All right, we'll see you next time for more random conversation on Insert This 2. Adios.